Welcome back to All About Change. This is a special episode. In wake of the recent tragedy in Israel, we want to turn our focus to those working hard day in and out to save lives. We've taken pains to turn this episode around more quickly than usual because of how fast things are developing on the ground. I spoke to Linor Atias, a first responder on the ground in the south of Israel. She was one of the first on the scene after the Hamas attacks on October 7th. She spoke to me via phone from inside a triage tent. You'll be able to hear that in her background. I'm so grateful for her taking the time to speak with me and tell me about the situation on the ground. A heads up to our listeners, you'll hear some graphic descriptions of the aftermath of the attack. If you're listening with children nearby, you might want to use headphones. I want to tell you that I I join you in all the pain that's been inflicted on the Jewish people in the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust. I'm sure you know people that have died in this attack, as do I. My wife and child are currently in Israel. So thank you for giving us the time. I see that you're on the front lines. You know, I know you're going through a very difficult time, so thank you for your time right now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Linoa is a member of the volunteer first responder organization, United Hatzala. The organization's day-to-day has changed over the last week, but it was founded to ensure rapid medical care to anyone in Israel. United Hatzala established to save lives. Our goal target is to be there to be every call within 90 seconds or less. For now, we are holding uh, three minutes or less all over the country. And the major cities like Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, Beersheba, we will be there in 90 seconds or less, only because we have enough volunteers. Wherever we don't have enough volunteers, we just open more training course. It doesn't need to pay anything. We just need to be able to speak two times uh, a week during the evening to learn everything. And that's it. We will receive the medic bag. We will receive all the training all over the years. And of course, the communication device. The communication device will alert if he's the nearest one. We don't have time when, when baby is choking. 90 seconds. This is, this is what we have. There are volunteers all over the country, ultra Orthodox, Arabs, Muslims, Christians. Jews, Bedouin, women, everyone is part of the 7,000 volunteers of United Arab I asked Lenore about what inspired her to become a medic in the first place. Her answer had some familiar ties to what we're talking about. I lost my uncle, Emil, in a bombing attack in Kapseh Hillel in Jerusalem. And if only back then we had those first responders, maybe he wouldn't lost so many blood with a simple tourniquet on his head, he probably could be saved. And at that moment, uh, I didn't know how I can help and assist my parents and Emil's daughter. I decided that I'm going to dedicate my life to save others. And then I heard about United Astala, organization of volunteers, medics, paramedics, that everyone can become a medic. And no matter what you're doing, what your professional job skills, they'll teach you everything. They give you the equipment, the communication devices. And if something happens and you are the nearest volunteer, you will be alert and that's it. It's done. You can save someone's life because you have the equipment. 
in your car or your empty cycle. So I decided that I'm going to save lives. That's it. She told me that as part of the training, volunteers go through something called MCI drills or mass casualty injury drills. We have the drills, MCI drills, every branch in Israel receiving a bunch of MCI drills during the year. It could be missile attack, terror attack, like knife or weapon, earthquake. We are preparing the volunteers for any kind of emergency uh, chaos scenarios. They know the logistic uh, protocols, they know the medical protocols, they know the operational protocols. But no training was sufficient for what volunteer medics would encounter throughout the day of October 7th. I live in Jerusalem. 6.30, a.m. we had the first uh, rocket. And I was saying to myself, they're going to say again, it's a, by a mistake. We wasn't uh, mean to, it was a mistake, and that's it. But then another missile attack us, and another missile attack us, and then I understood something is going on. So I just ran over to our dispatch center located in Jerusalem. I assist to bring more volunteers to enter the call. Around 7.30, we received phone calls that terrorists shooting at us. Please come, please help, please rescue us. And it was devastating to hear those voices screaming and yelling for help. And to hear the, it wasn't like regular gun. It was rifles. This is our... I heard. This is what I heard. And when I finished to establish all the district center, I just went down to the south with the, all the forces that went down to the south, and I assist and help to open the medical field to make the first triage so we can demand if someone needs the helicopter uh, or just ambulance to take them to the hospital. It was a chaos. It was a, it was a chaos. For Lenore, that chaos brought to mind why she joined United Hatzalah in the first place. Why I become a volunteer of United Hatzalah because no one put tourniquet on my ankle and he lost so many blood. I, I cannot count the, the number of the tourniquet I put on soldiers and civilians who got started during this Shabbat. And I know I saved life. So, after checking with her Jerusalem dispatch office, Lenore sped south with the siren on full blast. Within an hour, she was on site in an ambulance. The work couldn't start yet, though. The United Hatzalah volunteers had to coordinate with the Israel Defense Force, or IDF, to figure out what was the safest way for volunteers to get to the victims. And for us to make the connection with the IDF, to understand the safety first. If we're going to, to kill ourselves, no one will save the others. So let's start protecting ourselves so we can be able to save someone else. So it took us like 30 minutes to manage this assessment. And then we start to get in and get out. We saw all the bodies on the main road. Um, I just drove like zigzag in between bodies, which I understood they're already dead. So can you tell us a little bit, I know it's very emotional, but can you tell us what it was like to essentially show up in a war zone? What did you see? Can you describe for our listeners who, you know, don't have a firsthand account of of what you saw on the way down south? I don't have the right term, but this is, war zone is not the right term for that. A war zone is when 
military fighting against another military. It was towns and cities with civilians. And they were in between missiles, terrorists, and IDF soldiers who can also make a mistake. So it wasn't a war zone, and I don't know how to call it. I disconnect my emotions. Uh, the truth, for, for me to survive and to make very fast decisions and the right decisions, I cannot think for my heart. I have a big, huge heart. I, I needed to focus on all different aspects, information, gathering, to understand which information is true, which is just only like a guess or mistake, and to, to create the, the right operational picture. So we will know how to act and how to move the forces, the rescue forces inside and get them out. So we can take, sometimes it was seven or nine people on the ambulance. You couldn't treat them. You just put them inside and escape outside and then you start to treat them. And one emotional thing that, that happened to me one, in, in one town, it was in Beri town, the village of Beri, Kibbutz, Beri. We went down to take some uh, injured civilians that was on the main road. And it was near some houses. And I heard a baby crying, but it was very low. I didn't even understood if it's baby or maybe it's a kitty cat. I didn't know what I'm hearing. But someone in my gut, in my heart, tell me, I need to check it out. So I went inside the house and I saw two beautiful twins, 10 months old, and their parents were murdered. They were over the, the babies. They protect the baby. Uh, the mother was with, with one, one baby. The father was, was with the other. And this is how they say. As a mother, I thought, I cannot just take them to the ambulance. What, what should I do with them on the triage on our uh, hospital scene? I need formula babies, I need diapers, I need to bring something with me because I don't hold it in the ambulances. So I went to the kitchen and I saw in the refrigerator the magnet with the pictures of this beautiful family. And I started to think where, where the mommy will put the baby formula. And I, I remember I said to myself, instead of her standing in her kitchen, repairing the bottle for her babies now, no one going to do it. Like someone will do it eventually. But this is what I told myself. And um, another medic, I asked him to find the diapers, and he did on the in, in the baby's room. And then they just took them to the hospital, the Barzirai Hospital in Ashkelon. The social workers of the hospital received them. And I don't know what happened. What will be the next uh, step for them? Another thing that was very hard for me is when I need to turn out the uniform for the soldiers because we need to take over the clothes to see where the bleeding is so we can stop it. And just to turn over an IDF uniform from a soldier, a fighter, it's a very hard moment for me as an Israeli, as a soldier myself. This is crucial. This is not the right way. To, to fight. This is not a war zone. It's not. I, I don't know how to call it. I don't, I don't have even, in Hebrew, I don't even have the word. For Lenore, the horror was unimaginable, something she'd only seen on a computer screen. I think they took the video games and make them alive. I know that 
the reality I witnessed is something that obviously I need to take care of myself. With the psychotrauma unit of United Atala, and all the volunteers will take care by them. But to see so many blood, to see so many hundreds, at the beginning it was hundreds, right at the beginning, hundreds of people that I saw, that I count. One road I count 35, another road I count 11, another uh, a house, another field I count 25. It was hundreds immediately. And and the fairness to understand that they are still between us, that they are hiding maybe in the cars, on the road, maybe. I, I have no word. In the middle of all the devastation, surrounded by tragedy, Lenore kept going. She kept going, she told me, because of the hope of saving just one more. Hope. This is what, what held me up over there. Just the hope that maybe I can save someone. Those who I couldn't save, I, I couldn't do nothing for them. And just, I was hoping that maybe someone survived this barbarism, this terror attack, brutal terror attack, and maybe someone can be saved. And when we found someone, it gave us the adrenaline and the power to go forward, to see more and more bodies, to smell the blood, to see the dogs hiding, terrifying, you see everything that we saw, but still looking for someone who's still alive. Under fire, under stress, under the understanding that I can be shot immediately, that I can lose my life here. But the adrenaline, the feeling that we received in every person we grab out from this battlefield, this brutal battlefield, gave us the power to continue, to continue. This, this Saturday, October 7, we'll never forget. We will never forget October 7. And as you said, everyone needs to learn from this day. Everyone needs to learn how they can protect their civilians. Because the civilians of the south, of the Gaza Strip border, were, wasn't protected. And I, I know that we took the right decision. We took our own life at risk. But still, it was the right decision to save so many people. So we established immediately the decision, the right decision, that every ambulance should have at least one volunteer with his gun. And this is how we, we could make it. We, we didn't know how many terrorists are still alive shooting the people. We didn't know that. Uh, but when the army uh, understood the situation, then they started to protect us. We work shoulder by shoulder with the army. But as time went on, more and more volunteers arrived as well. By 2 p.m., Leonor told me there were 50 ambulances, three helicopters, and 250 volunteers. By 4 p.m., 150 more volunteers had arrived. But remember, in the days to follow, United Hatsala is still responsible for responding to emergencies nationwide. So the mission wasn't changed since last Saturday. What happened is that we brought more volunteers from all over Israel to assist in the south, but we still need to manage all Israel across. We have car accidents, we have talking babies all over Israel every day. Every day we receive 2,000 calls, emergency calls. 2,000 calls in Israel for ambulances receiving every day. And now we need to 
do more service for the staff. So we just bring the vehicle of the command center, the, the mobile dispatch center, which establish a unique way to the situation in the south. And in Jerusalem, they manage all over the country. Well, God willing, there will be peace soon, and, and, and this, this will come to an end. You talked about PTSD. How are your volunteers going to deal with what they've seen? Thank you for asking about us. We have the psychotrauma unit. The psychotrauma unit opened the hotline for the volunteers immediately when Shabbat uh, went through during the night. And since then, they are around the clock. Every ship that are opening, they have the circle that explains the operation outside. But someone from the psychotrauma unit explained them what different things they, they're going to see. Maybe they will see dead bodies. Maybe they will see terror attacks. Maybe they will see a soldier that just physically is okay, but mentally collapsed. And they're preparing us to all different things that we might see and feel. And after the shift, they have the circles over here that someone that they can just, we can speak, we can say whatever we, we want to say, we can sing. They bring the piano over here during the night. And of course, the hotline still active. If you, if you need a private call with someone from the psychotrauma unit, this is active 24 seven. And if you need face to face, they, they will meet you wherever your, uh, um, your home is. They will come to your home or a coffee shop or whatever. They will sit with you. And it's very important for us to ventilate everything, to understand what we've been seeing and feeling, and to bring the volunteers back normal to their own life, to the family, community, job. We need to bring them safe, not only in, in their bodies, but also in their mind and soul. Unfortunately, psychological safety isn't the volunteers' only concern. We have already five volunteers who murdered in this terror Two of them was at the festival. Uh, one of them was in the road uh, trying to assist the police station and he got shot at. We have wounded volunteers and we have missing volunteers who maybe right now they are captured in Gaza, but we don't have the information yet. I'm so sorry for that. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your service and for everyone else who is volunteering for United Hatzalah. Can you tell us how our listeners can get involved, how they can help, how they can support you and your colleagues who are out there on the front lines trying to you know, save civilians and, and individuals who've been maimed and, and, and seriously hurt from terrorist attacks? There are mainly two ways to support us right now, which are crucial for us. One is to donate. Whatever you can donate at United Atala website, campaigns, please do, please help us. Because we need more tourniquets, more bandages, more oxygen tanks, and it's crucial for us to have more gear vests and helmets, because right now we don't have it, we don't have enough. And if someone will start it at the north and we are, talking about the long, long run, then we need more and we have already have the supplier that, can, that we can purchase for. 
The second thing that you can help us is just to be the ambassador, to tell the story of United Ostala, about those first responders who know how to save someone life, who save so many during this week, and just to support us, to tell about us to others. This is the two ways that I think we can help United Ostala right now. My heart goes out to you that you're still there, that the volunteers of United Hatsala are still there helping people and knowing that your work, you know, will continue in the coming days and weeks. And, you know, all I can say is God bless you and thank you. And I urge all our listeners, anyone that wants to help people in Israel that have been the victims of the worst terrorist attack since the Holocaust to reach out to the website of United Hatsala and give what you can to to help this amazing organization. Linoa, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time out of an emergency situation to talk to us and, and to let our listeners know what's happening on the ground. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. And um, thank you so much. I wish you all the best going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us again on All About Change for this difficult episode. We'll be back on our regular schedule with our next episode.